Welcome to the No Normal. The No Normal is a special presentation coming to you from New Music Edmonton. Thank you for joining us for this month's array of conversations, music, and special features. This series is presented in partnership between New Music Edmonton and CJSR Radio at Edmonton. Watch for additional special projects between NME and CJSR in the future, and enjoy the No Normal on their airwaves. You can find the station on Edmonton Radio Dials at 88.5 FM and online at CJSR.com. New Music Edmonton respectfully acknowledges that this celebration of creativity was produced on Treaty 6 territory. Amiskwichi Wiskaigan is the traditional gathering place of the many indigenous peoples whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence and enrich our community. We further acknowledge that it was the indigenous peoples of Treaty 6 who established the principles for, and have remained exemplars of, the respectful and caring use of this land for the purposes of art, livelihood, and spirituality. It is from these principles that New Music Edmonton has sought and will continue to seek partnerships, inspiration, and learning. Welcome to Episode 7 of The No Normal. I'm your host, Oscar Tsebart. For more information about NME's programming and events, look us up on social media or visit our website, newmusicedmonton.ca. May flowers is no exaggeration. The plants are blooming, the bugs are buzzing, the land is alive with life awash in nature's rich soundscapes, from chirping songbirds to honking geese to swooping cranes, and with them, folks re-emerging and re-engaging with the outdoors. If you can, take a few moments and just be outside and listen. You might be surprised at what you hear. Speaking of natural sounds, do you have any idea how many kinds of noises a silk moth can make? Our first guest, Catherine Lee, certainly does. Catherine is an oboist who grew up here in the Amiskwichi-Edmonton area and now resides in Portland, Oregon. Her recordings and performances focus almost exclusively on works written by living composers, most of them Canadian. They include classical concert pieces as well as works featuring improvisation, theatrical elements, and electronics. But what does that have to do with silkworms? Well, Catherine raises them and records them, and utilizing those recordings, she performs with them. You can hear examples of this on Catherine Lee's new album, Remote Together, released this month by Redshift Records. She recently spoke with Ian Crutchley to talk about the new record, Silkworm Sounds, and about the meaning of creating music during the pandemic, both remotely and together. The oboe and its relatives, they're pretty old instruments, and there's a ton of great repertoire for them from the Baroque period onwards. So can you indicate some way that you found your way into focusing so much on contemporary music? I actually came to it through studying Baroque music, ironically. Oh, how did that work? Well, my doctoral project and paper was looking at three performer composers who wrote oboe concertos for themselves. One, Bizozzi, was based in Dresden. Lebrun was in Mannheim. And then Fisher was in London. And I wrote about how they used the different languages of the places. There's this really cool period just at the end of the Baroque before what we would call the true 
classical period. Some play, people were playing very Baroque figuration and other people were looking very forward. And I was really drawn to the concertos of J.C. Fisher, mm-hmm. who lived in London. I was originally born in England, so I think mm-hmm. I also was so interested because it was based in London, a city that I had been to and things like that. But one thing that he did was that his final movements were often based on folk songs. It would be like, this is theme and variations on Graham Tree Molly, like very blatant. And then he would put in these pauses and ornamentation, and he would really almost play with the expectations of the audience. And I found that really interesting to learn about it kind of made me think about what was their voice as a composer and what was their relationship to the audience. And I tried to kind of infer it by looking through the type of notation and figuration they were using. Right. So Fisher was really trying to not be one with the audience, but he was trying to have this rapport with them, which I, I really liked. So after looking at all of them I and studying their music, I started thinking, well, what's my role playing their music, right? I play a different instrument. It's like 300 years later. What can I infer from all of this? So I, I did a lot of work on that. And then I started thinking, well, what is my voice as a performer today? Hmm. And, and if I was to do a similar thing, what would be my sounds? Like, what are the things that I'm really drawn to? What are the things that I would like to share what are the things I would like to investigate and how would I do them? So it really bled out of this inquisitiveness with early music. I I feel like all the work that I've done, even though it is new music, it feels really grounded in that type of process, you know? And also the people who play a lot of Baroque music, if you're thinking of a a Baroque piece, there's a lot that's not included there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of the ornamentation, there's a lot of the, articulations there's all that type of thing so they're they're in some ways broke musicians are improvising as they are playing those pieces yeah the and details. so it's a very yeah yeah it's a very similar yeah. process that's interesting. the actual yeah. process in in deciphering broke scores is not that different from deciphering modern scores could you talk a little bit about what you enjoy about working with composers for me it has always been such a privilege to work really closely with a composer The people that I have worked with have been people, friends of mine as well, and people that have understood and known my playing very Mm. well. Right. And so I feel so incredibly privileged by the works that I have had written for me. I've also been, and maybe it's the type of composers that I befriend, (laughs) because I don't (laughs) think all composers are like this. For example, when I approached Emily Doolittle and I heard Social Sounds from Wales at Night and I really wanted to play it. And she was just so open to me playing it, even though it was written for soprano. I mean, she'd had other people play it on other instruments, but she also really worked with me. Like we tried it on oboe and it didn't quite feel right to me. And then I tried it on English horn and it didn't feel right. She, she was just so open to that. Mm-hmm. So I think that I've often being really fortunate to work with composers who maybe because they combine certain aspects of improvisation in their scores are really open to see what a performer is going to put into the work Mm -hmm. and also what what they're going to be drawn to between the release of social sounds and 
assembling remote together, what kinds of things have you learned or new insights have you had that makes this a different experience for you? Social Sounds was primarily works that were composed for other people. For me to have people write for me was really amazing. It included a lot more this album includes a lot more kind of microtonality, things like that. Like the Taylor, the one from Taylor Brooke is actually really notated microtonality. Right. I've never really played a piece that had been notated as microtonality before. Oh, right. Yeah. I played with microtonal ideas and yeah. found my way in kind of from the opposite side, but I'd never come from a score of something being very specifically microtonal and then kind of improvise with those, those things. So it was, kind of beginning from the opposite side and then working back again. Mm-hmm. So that that piece I is very pivotal to this album, mm-hmm. Alluvium, right. because I would say that really helped me change my direction again and really in, I had to integrate that piece in a way that I'd never had to integrate a piece before mm-hmm. in order to play it. Could you tell me a little bit about Redshift Records and how you came to work with them on this project? Being a Canadian label, it's something that I've always kind of kept an eye on. Because even though mm-hmm. I live in the States, I really I really feel Canadian. And I feel this connection with playing Canadian composers. And mm-hmm. just having a Canadian presence is really important to me. So when I was putting this recording out... I approached them and I just said, would, is this something that might fit? Mm-hmm. And they said, yes. And I was like, yay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Remote together is described by you as being an evolutionary journey responsive to pandemic culture. And I wonder if you could talk about what that means to you and, and, and how it's reflected in, in the record. The evolutionary journey part of it, is kind of more of the idea I began with being kind of, as I was just kind of talking about the, the idea of starting with a very Baroque, simple melody. So my original conception for the album would be, it's almost like someone's going to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then they have this night full of unusual dreams mm-hmm. or sounds that come and visit them or things like this experiences and then they wake up in the morning and they've kind of changed the way they hear and the way they Mm. listen to things right and so like we finished with like the oboe playing with silk moths Mm -hmm. and the buzzing of sounds so that was kind of my original arc of what I was playing with. And then the more I got into the silk moths, the more I realized that, well, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe Nocturne is like the pupa and all those little stages are like the instar stages. And then Chimas kind of felt like the cocooning that Mm -hmm. happens. There's a Mm -hmm. stillness before then there's like this activity and there's the unknown. So then that was kind of like my second kind of I kind of like okay well that kind of works like that and then I was like but but I feel like I've been kind of cocooned for a year and then there have been these moments of um 
super glitchiness. <laughs> you know, there are these moments of like, like strange juxtaposition that have happened. There's been these feelings yeah. of micro connection with people, like on mm-hmm. a real micro level. Yeah. And then there's been these like macro experiences. Everything's been really tiny. Mm. Everything's been really big. Everything's been kind of a little bit jived. Everything's, but yet there's been this stillness and I'm, I'm coming out of it, not knowing where I'm going sort of, but I know that I'm different. Like my relationship to myself has changed. My relationship to my surroundings has changed my role well, even my role within my family has kind of changed, you know, through the loss of a parent, like, like all these things have, have changed. And so, and that's kind of the connection that I make with like the pandemic, like there's all this kind of stuff going on and we're, I'm kind of, I don't know where I am, but I'm somewhere different and I'm figuring my way out. Mm -hmm. Does that kind of make sense? It does. But I think everybody that I know seems to feel a mutual sense of loss, uh, whether it's at the level of losing somebody literally or just a loss of something that used to exist. Mm -hmm. And most people seem to grasp that what used to be called normal is not coming back. Like February 2020 is not coming back. We're not going back to that place. So there's a simultaneous feeling of loss um, almost an excitement, but also a sense of just having to find out bit by bit what what's coming. Yeah, because we're not through it yet. I guess is part of the problem. So, yeah, we're not through this. Yeah, like, we're yeah. not through it. We're still figuring our way through it. Mm-hmm. And and I so I think like that kind of uncertainty. There's a little bit of an uncertainty, but yet I we are I you know we're somewhere different. Um, so that's, that's kind of where that idea of like pandemic culture mm-hmm. kind of comes in. And also like, like the real, like there are bits that um, Chanson is so internal. It's such an internal piece. It's mm-hmm. about, you have this beautiful oboe melody going on and then you have all these things going on underneath. It's, it's about Eleanor de Aquitaine. She's looking back right. over her life yeah. and kind of it's like memories kind of glitchy memories things passing through Mm -hmm. you but yet you have a facade a public facade (laughs) yeah yeah right and then julian's piece is kind of more it's much more external but it's similar it's like me as a a a person then in relationship to my outside right you know with his like toy piano and things like this like it's me so it's kind of there's like very micro and very macro and also the technological element because no one can deny the technological element mm-hmm. of this last year and it's allowed yeah, me to yeah. to play with i mean the 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 majority of this was recorded but it wasn't mixed it wasn't finished mixing so i've spent the the last year really kind of mixing it and editing it and balancing mm-hmm. it and getting all that and doing that kind of all over remotely over email <laughs> which yeah. is yeah. somewhat tricky and it then is. Silky's was conceived completely during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of very interrelated, just even the, the process of how this album has 
being made. I've worked in different ways, recorded in my house on a on a portable Sony recorder. Yeah, right. Yeah. And never thought I would do that and include it on a CD, but no. I did, you know, so working that, in new ways. That may end up being one of the more hopeful aspects of this, I think, is that maybe maybe people will, will find that easier solutions are, are actually fine. And we don't have to keep searching for more expensive things and better and the word better maybe doesn't necessarily have to apply to anything anymore. Yeah. And it's also allowed me to be parts of other collaborations. Yeah. yeah. You know, of you know, making a short recording and then sending it off and then being a part of something with 20 other people, 20 other people's recordings that I found mm -hmm. like really rewarding. So it's different. It's been different ways of making music yeah. yeah, with other people. And, and, and it's been really, really an amazing experience just to be able to be immersed in the soundscapes created for me by the composers. Cause then I feel like I haven't been alone cause I've mm -hmm. been with their sounds. Speaking of recordings, um, let's talk a little bit about field recording because that word, that phrase comes up in your in your notes, most mm -hmm. particularly, I think, with your own piece, Silkies, which is a collaboration with Juniana Lanning. I have spent the last two summers raising silk moths. I was ridiculously enamored with <laughs> <laughs> So am I, and because they make this sound. As they get bigger, they make this, it's like, nying, nying, yeah. nying, nying, nying. as I've and, heard on your recording, yes. <laughs> yeah, and some people say it's the sound of them eating, and others say it's the sound of their feet. Ah. I had been sitting at lunch with my husband and son, and I was talking about these silkworms, and Stuart was like, well, why don't you make a piece with them? Mm. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a great idea. I took a field recording just on like a, you know, on my little Sony recorder, I put it really up close to them. And and then I was playing around with it on Audacity. Mm -hmm. And I created a sort of piece, you know, and then kind of made it a little oboe part over top. And I sent it to a friend of mine and I said, I'm really interested in, in doing this. And, and he's like, there's something really cool about it. He said, I don't know quite what it is, but there's something that really draws me in. And I was like, yeah, I just don't know if I can get like good enough at like the electronic side of it. Cause that's not a skill set I have yet. And I've known Juniana for years and I've loved her work. And we're in kind of the creative music field in Portland together. And it was really important to me that whoever I work with this, for some reason, I really wanted them to be a woman and I wanted them to be a mother. Mm -hmm. It was really important to me. And I went and asked her, I was nervous. I went and asked her and I said, so I have the silk moths <laughs> with me, interested in making something with them. And she was just like, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's do it. And I was like, okay. So that's kind of, that's how the collaboration began. Okay. And we met yeah. up and we exchanged recordings and then we were going to do it as a live performance last April on a concert series here. Mm -hmm. But then um, COVID hit, the concert was canceled and it just kind of got shelved. Late, a couple months later, I saw a conference call come up for ISTA, I-S-S-T-A, for Sonic Performance Now. And I thought, well, this would be a really cool opportunity for us to develop this piece. So I called up Joanne and I said, well, do you want to keep on working on this? 
And she said, yes. So we, then we just, we started working, but we had to find a way to work remotely. So I had given her two field recordings I'd made. One was of the, the eating sound and one was of the wings buzzing of a yes. male silk right. moth. Yeah. And so she made explorations with those, creating all these different sounds that she mm-hmm. could create out of those. And then I played the oboe with them to see what I could do to kind of get into that sound world a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we would talk about, well, we emailed about the sounds that kind of worked and the sounds that could be the best for interaction, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And we both developed independently what our trajectory was for our respective scores. So we're each responsible for creating our respective scores, essentially. And we were both, though I didn't know at the time, really playing with the ideas of transformation. I was really interested in that because you're raising them in such a short period of time, you see them changing before your eyes. And then I had a, a young son who was like going to kindergarten. So I'm seeing him transform. And I had had a a student of mine suddenly pass away. And so that was another type of transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And all of this was playing out at the same time as I was raising them. And so I think that's why I had felt that it was so important that I I work on this, like with a woman and a person who is a mother. So we, we just were working with ideas and then sending things back and forth and back and forth. And really, it just kind of very gradually began to emerge. She made a sketch of a soundscape and I would listen to it and then record myself and try and patch it back together so that she could then see where they lined up and then send that to her. And then she'd maybe make adjustments and then send things back to me. Mm. And then I'd record things and we just kind of go back and forth like that. And it was very peaceful way of working we only ever really corresponded over email we each had a lot of space to hear Mm -hmm. what we got back because sometimes when I got things back I was like oh wait a minute that's not where I placed that and but there's oh but that's how Juniana heard it oh yeah okay I get it so when I got to the final creation of the score I recorded two recordings it was actually the day after my dad had had a heart attack and I knew I needed to get the recordings done yeah and I remember there was a certain sense of vulnerability in the way that I played, but yet it, it felt okay sending those recordings mm-hmm. to her. Yeah. Um, so for me as a performer, it really feels like I allowed myself to be seen in a way that I had not allowed myself to be seen before. Yeah. And the other thing that was like really kind of interesting about it was that um, we, there's a video version of it we created. Oh, which I'll send you the the link to. Mm-hmm. And um, we were taking all these pictures and I wanted like this really abstract images to it. And the night after my dad passed, my son came to me, said, I want a microscope. <laughs> and I said, okay, because my dad loved microscopes. He was so oh, interested in microscopes. Really? So immediately I bought him a microscope. And when I was, we were, we were looking at all this stuff through microscopes. And then I had all these, Thing, you know, like moth exoskeletons that had been shed and things like that. And so again, it just, it felt a little bit full circle. Like it felt really good to be doing, taking pictures that way after the few days after my father was passing, there was something mm-hmm. just very comforting in doing that. 
NME's Ian Crutchley speaking with oboist Catherine Lee. And now let's take a preview of Catherine Lee's new work, Silkies, her collaboration with sound artist and composer Juniana Lanning from the forthcoming album, Remote Together.
The Sounds of Silky by Catherine Lee and Juliana Lanning. It's one of six works for oboe, oboe de mort, an English horn that can be found on Remote Together being released by Vancouver's Redshift Records. This is The No Normal, a New Music Edmonton production. NME is a not-for-profit arts organization and is dependent on a vast array of sponsors, members, and volunteers. Funding and support for this season's presentations, including this podcast, has been provided by the Canada Council for the Arts, the Alberta Foundation for the Arts, Canadian Heritage, SOCAN Foundation, Alberta Gaming and Liquor, the City of Edmonton, and CJSR Radio. We thank all of them for their generosity and continued commitment to recognizing the vital role that the arts play in our lives. Thanks also to all the members, volunteers, and NME staff and board members who keep it all together and happening for New Music Edmonton. To the artists, whose work is the reason we come together, and of course, thank you for joining us. Next up is composer and sound artist Nico Arneas. Since moving to Edmonton from Argentina, Nico Arneas has become a vital part of the progressive art scene in Edmonton. In any given season, you can find him premiering intricate new compositions with live electronics, improvising with found objects, collaborating with dancers, or blowing the roof off of local venues with his trio, Blackout Over Rio. He also happens to be New Music Edmonton's production manager. Nico Arneas is one of the composers we commissioned as part of this year's New Music for the No Normal, funded by the Edmonton Arts Council. His new work, Duo One, was written for and in collaboration with voice artist Jessica Wagner. Ian Crutchley caught up with Nico recently to discuss his work. Thank you very much for the piece, Duo One, which is fantastic. I've been listening to it and looking forward to hearing it some more because I think he said there was going to be a bit bit more of a mix down of it at some point soon. Yeah, you know, as a, as a technician, you never stop mixing. or no. when it's, it's that that thing of being a composer but also a sound person mm-hmm. that is not compatible because you never stop finding new things. Do you need somebody to just take it away from you? Would that, that would be, be ideal. Yeah. I, I would totally love <laughs> yes. somebody else to do the mixing work of this. I work on the deadlines. If there yeah. if there was no deadlines, I, I think I wouldn't compose anything by this point. No, yeah. I, I hear you there. <laughs> I yeah. need those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, deadlines tomorrow. I guess my piece is finished. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit of your background. And for those who don't know, maybe you could talk about where you arrived from. I'm from originally from Argentina. I born and raised in Mendoza, which is the wine region of Argentina. So it's a mm. medium city. It's a nice place to be. Really new in many things and really old in many other things. I came to, to Edmonton on March 9, 2011. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so it's been 10 years, like almost exactly 10 years of me being in Edmonton. And I know the date so exactly because my mom every year says me, okay, you see one more year that you are away from me, from us. <laughs> so she does yeah. remember when I took my plane, which was on March 8th. So I arrived yeah. here the next day. So there you go. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I have a very good track of that. It's been a blast being here, actually. Mm-hmm. I guess like all immigrants or most of immigrants, they, they, they normally think that you go to a city and you're going to spend two or three years and then you're going to move. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not happening. I'm <laughs> pretty much stuck in here, which I love. Going back to your earlier days, what do you think drew you into being a composer? The real moment was when when I realized that I wasn't a piano player. <laughs> it's like I started studying piano, and I took three years under the university to play playing piano, like concerts and all that. Mm-hmm. And, all that. and I soon realized that I, it wasn't my thing. 
there was some conversation in the halls of the university <laughs> that they were they, they were going to open a composition career. All, all my buddies, they w we started discussing how can somebody teach you how to compose. But I got very attracted to the idea. Being a, a city where there was no composers, they had to bring a composer from outside to teach mm -hmm. these courses. Finally, we got uh, Miguel Bellucci. He's an right. Argentinian composer who lived in Germany for many, many years. He, he met and hung out with the big dudes, right? With, <laughs> with Berio, Ligeti, Stockhausen. He knows them all. Miguel introduced me to composers from the 20th century and the newest one. And I just got in love with the idea of being able to create new music mm -hmm. and, and avant-garde music. I still wonder today and uh, if somebody can teach you how to compose. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible at all. And actually, I'm teaching now composition at the University of Alberta. And that's the first thing that I tell my, my, my guys, my students. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to teach you something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to share you all the knowledge that I've acquired because I'm older than you and that's it. I'm going to help you uh, understand where you want to go mm -hmm. and how to get there. But I'm, I will never mark a composition because it's a, just because of how you do it. It certainly is a weird topic to teach. I've taught it as well. I had some really amazing teachers, but I guess the one thing I didn't have ever was a teacher that taught me how to compose music like theirs. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that there's a species of teacher out there that assumes that any student they have wants to compose the same way that they do and therefore mm. teaches them all those yeah. techniques. Whereas my teachers were more interested in like, what did you do this week? Oh, okay, well, you know, did you think of this? Yeah, so mentorship, yeah. really, it's mentorship. It's a mentorship. I totally yeah. agree. I will never tell a student to compose like me. But through Miguel and through some experiences, I discovered and I rediscovered electroacoustic music. It was, a, it was perfect. It was just, just a fantastic uh, discovery back in the day. Yeah, it can be a real revelation for people when they first have that. It's so much control, right? You have so much control over everything when you're doing electronic music. You don't have control over the max patch blowing up in your face at a performance, maybe, but... <laughs> well, but that's a very interesting aspect, though. It's, I mean, the surprise of it is unique, and the risk is, of course, um, bigger. But actually, what I've been trying to do in the last years is to not to have that much control oh. of the electronics, right? So I'm trying to give the electronics their own voice. Right. So I'm trying to build something that uh, sonically is controlled by the interaction between the human and the computer. In this piece in particular, for example, it's about controlling the outcome in a musical sense where every single note for the electronics is written as they are written for the, for the soprano in this case. Mm -hmm. So New Music Edmonton commissioned you to write this work, Duo One. You're working, or you did work and will be working with Jessica Wagner. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what the text is and what it means within the piece you wrote for Jessica. So I, I was having this conversation with Jessica and she told me, well, um, but you are a Spanish, so why don't we make, make a mix of both? Why don't you work in Spanish and in English? And I start thinking that's interesting. So the thought was, what is in English that there is not in Spanish? And what do we have in Spanish that is not in English? 
Mm. Each each language has its own magic, right? And yeah. its own ways of pronouncing, of course, but its own its own way of singing. But there is something grammarly that is I always was fascinated with English as I was learning it. Short words that has a lot of meaning into just one of them. For example, uh-huh. somewhere. Now, if I want to say that in Spanish, I don't have one word to say somewhere. I had to make a phrase. I had to say en algún lado, which so is three words, three separate separate words. So these contraptions in English are fantastic, and I made a huge collection of them. So you have timeless, restless, purposeless, pointless, ageless, endless, aimless, uh, meaningless, senseless, worthless, and so all the one finishing in less. And then you have the ones with ever. The thing that makes them together is this characteristic of being a contraption of, a, of an idea. Uh-huh. And then I thought in English, in Spanish, do we have something like that in Spanish? And I discovered actually that exactly the same. We have the same idea of having one word that it means a lot of things. Oh, so, for okay. example, the word in Spanish uh, "empujenlo" in English, "empujenlo" will be all of you push it. Push ah, it, like okay. pushing oh, yeah, something, yeah. right? Yeah. Pushing like something. People to push a car or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Just one word, and that's it. So I made a collection of all the words in Spanish that, that have the same characteristic <laughs> of that contraption. So, so Jessica is flipping between syllables in Spanish that are mixed with some syllables in English. So you don't really hear that no. in the in the result because I don't want it to be that clear. I'm, mm-hmm. I just think that they have this stronger power or that make them together. So um, can you just talk a little bit about how this piece got created and what your work with Jessica involved and her role perhaps in, in creating the piece? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, this piece is something coming out of my doctoral thesis. When I, I just finished my, not just last year, I finished my, my doctoral uh, composition degree at the University of Alberta. and. And there I composed a piece for string quartet and five speakers, which is called Noneto. So the, on the title, I'm trying to show that it is not just a performer with electronics. So Noneto is a nonet, right? So Nonet is that. nine yeah. musicians. Right. It's not five speakers and four humans. It's mm-hmm. five music it's nine musicians. That's that's the idea of it, right? Uh so Basically, the basis of this works are to get that interaction of we normally found in within two or more musicians in, a, in an acoustic ensemble. So in Noneto and Duo One, they are fully notated. I mean, both soprano and and computer they have uh, a traditional Western-looking score, like it was a Schubert piano and, and tenor singing. This is sure, exactly yeah. the same, but instead of being a piano, it's a computer. So they do interact in the same way. So the, the idea is that the electronics are not augmenting the sound of Jessica. Mm-hmm. They are working with her as a second performer. And that's the idea. that was the first idea in Noneto. And then we have this duo, which is a smaller setup. So instead of being nine sound sources, nine musicians, we have just two. And mm-hmm. that's, that's why it's called duo, soprano and Aha, speaker. Yeah. That's, that's the trick behind behind. I did thing. notice that when you sent me the title originally, and I was I was curious about why it was phrased that way. The computer mm-hmm. is listening to Jessica. 
Okay. All the time. She is, uh, the, both of them are influencing each other with different shifts. So if Jessica does something different on performance one, the computer will react one way. If she does something different in performance two, the computer will react that way as well. But the okay. opposite is mm -hmm. also. Sometimes the computer does something that will, it will help Jessica to do something differently in, in the performance end of things, right? Can you explain a little bit of it anyway about what kinds of things the computer is listening for in order, and then what kinds of things it changes? I had a problem. Once I decided <laughs> the electronics won't be augmenting the sound source, won't, won't be making Jessica's voice larger or echoey or move all around your head in, in an octophonic system, I had the problem that I had to give the computer a voice. I had to create a timbre for the computer to uh, perform whatever I wrote for it. Mm -hmm. Okay, This is one of the ways they interact with each other. So the timbre of the computer is created by two techniques. One of them is uh, double synthesis, which is basically a frequency and amplitude modulation applied together. So I, it, that's fully electronic. It's just mixing waveforms in different ways to create specific uh, sound and there are different patches of those synthesis um, moments, but there is another way of creating the timbre for the computer, which happens in specific measures, which is, which I call resynthesis. The computer takes little samples of Jessica's voice in particular moments. So as the computer runs, uh, let's say in, in second number five, um, Jessica is holding one note. Mm -hmm. the computer will steal a little grain of that uh, sampler of it's, it's, uh, her voice and will make the same process of mixing waveforms, but instead of using simply waveforms, it uses Jessica's resynthesized voice. Okay. So you will hear, mm -hmm. you hear moments that the computer sounds like her rebuilding the voice of the computer by using Jessica's voice. So mm -hmm. if that moment Jessica sang, sang louder or sang a little bit quieter or more, with more vibrato or with something, it'll affect the voice of the computer later as well. So it, it's impossible really for this piece to be the same every time it's performed pretty much. It, it is, it is. Yeah. And there are some specific moments which are very interesting. And we were talking with Jessica laughing because <laughs> we were recording this piece. <laughs> and at the very end, the last, the last minute of the piece is an improvisation. So the computer will choose whatever he wants <laughs> from the past, from yeah. the first four minutes, and he will replay it. And Jessica has to react to that. Mm -hmm. So we never know what the computer will cho choose, and we never know what Jessica will choose. So both of them are waiting for each other to see what they represent. So <laughs> every time we recorded, it was totally different. And, mm -hmm. we, and we were hoping, oh, hopefully this time, you know, uh, this is uh, the computer goes this way because the last time it was amazing. And no, it didn't. It just chose a different thing. So or Jessica chose a different thing that made the computer go to a different way. So I think we have like six or seven different takes of the piece. Oh, nice. And I choose the ones nice. that, that I think is better. And I, th I and, and Jessica agree was the best. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I achieved that idea of having this piece being fully written, but always a little bit different. Yeah, very nice. This is a piece for her. Mm -hmm. uh, Duo is a piece that I wrote for her. So before actually even starting my patch or starting my first measure, and I ask her, what are the things that she really enjoyed 
as a performance. You know, not we we don't all enjoy the same thing. No, not all sopranos likes the same thing. So I really wanted to go into her own bag of loving techniques. So I asked her, okay, what do you like? What do you think is fantastic for you being a, a soprano? <laughs> she mentioned, I really like vocal fry stuff, like you're talking really loud, as, as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. I really like rhythmic things. I, I, I enjoy seeing mo motivation on the score. Like, you know, instead of saying piano, it's saying sad, giving indications that are more just than musical instructions mm -hmm. she loved uh quick changes of mood one uh, and one of the questions in this questionnaire i made to her is like what do you think sopranos are the best at that nobody else can do and she can, came with the answer of course because she's much better soprano than me <laughs> <laughs> she said uh we are very good on imitating things ah. we have the power of sound like this thing or that thing yeah. Which it was a revelation for me. I never thought in, in voice in that way. It's true. I mean, that's, we have a revelation for me too. I hadn't really thought about it that way. So once I collected all this great and fantastic information, I went home and I tried to compose a piece that had a lot of all of this. And uh, another, the, uh, another characteristic of uh, Duo One is it has to be a simple setup. The electronic setup is very simple. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. So the patch is very easy to run. It's just, I mean, although it does a lot of very, very heavy computerized things and, and computer logic things, uh, working with the patch is very friendly, mm -hmm. um, you know? And I do not ask for 35 speakers and 55 <laughs> microphones, which I yeah. normally do, and I will yeah, keep yeah. doing. Yeah. In this case, it has to be simple. I want her. I want these pieces, this piece and, and the other ones that, that are to come, um, to be very simple setup. You just one speaker, microphone, hit play, do it, go home. One of the things that is most interesting about you in terms of your place in Edmonton, um, aside from all the incredible work you do for New Music Edmonton as production manager, is the really, really far out collection of artistic things that you do. And I'm not even sure I know all of them because every once in a while something comes up and like, I didn't know Nico was doing this kind of thing. So we've got, obviously we've got you as a composer and we have you playing free improvisation with found objects and things like that. We've got Avant Jazz with your group, group Blackout over Rio. And you have done, you've done really complicated interdisciplinary work with Mile Zero Dance on two or three three different occasions I three i think yeah, yeah. most recently uh, an online performance in um the late fall or early fall i can't remember uh I mean, november yeah towards november. the end of november yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh so i wonder if you can kind of do do all these things somehow come out of one nico or do you find you compartmentalize these different types of things uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I think this is something cultural. It's mm -hmm. something that comes out of being a South American dude living in North America mm, sort of okay. thing. Back home, we do everything. I mean, uh, I, I, I from my bands, I used to play Latin jazz, for example. That's one of, mm. one of the features right. that I really miss. I love playing Latin jazz and making arrangements and all that. We were prom uh, producers of our shows we were uh technicians of our shows we were 
sound the sound we own the sound that we used to play with uh we did promotion of our i mean we, we did everything mm-hmm. and that's kind of the thing that happens to me in here that i see that is, there is a little bit of difference in here i get to edmonton and i see one opportunity i got invited to one opportunity and i cannot say no because i don't know the thing what was that, that that's for example the work with Miles zero Oh, okay. And yeah. Jerry Morita. Yeah. She invited me. She saw me improvising in one uh, of the, the Subarctic series. Yeah. Subarctic yeah. series, exactly. Right. So Great I was series. invited as part of SIM, mm. the improvisation ensemble at, at the U of A. I went there with them and I have a blast. I've never improvised before. So I improvised first in SIM because I could. Yeah. That was it, right? Yeah. I saw the place. They, they welcomed me and I just come in, join them, and learn how to do it. In the spot <laughs> and then i got better i guess or worse i don't know the thing is we had this show with with subarctic and i went there once and then they invited me to do a solo show with kate sasko um right. she was dancing and yeah and i just that love the idea of improvising that, i think that was where i first saw you play bass probably because you played bass when you did the show with kate i play bass with computers yeah, yeah. yes because i i was like what Nico plays bass? I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know neither. Because I normally play elect- electric bass. That right. was uh, acoustic bass. Uh, but it's, it's, I got invited and I can I cannot say no. I mean, how no. could I say no to Jerry Morita and her team <laughs> mm-hmm. to do a three days perfor- installation performance with one ton of uh, jeans? Which blue is, jeans, that, yeah. Yeah, the blue jeans. I, I cannot say no to that. I have no. to say yes. This is just one, once in my lifetime. So I just I just did it. I just learned what you did, learned what was the thing behind. I never worked with dancers in that way before. I learned a lot on the spot. So I do it because I'm invited to and I can't do it. There's uh, no doubt that everybody in the arts has had some kind of reaction to the last, what's now, 13 months, I guess, of the pandemic. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how it's affected you, not so much in terms of gigs and lost opportunities and so on, but just if it's made you think differently as an artist, challenging some of your assumptions about how art should be made, or maybe it's just that you've gone on and just continue to be the Nico of old. Hmm. I, I think I have the luck of being a person who adapts to anything. I mean, I, I, I can become anything that I have to become to surplus the moment I'm going through. If it is happy or if it is not happy, I can easily adapt to whatever is in my surroundings, which is a blessing because I know that is not common for anyone. So the pandemic in, in itself didn't affect me in an artistic way at all. I think I'm, I'm the same that I used to be before this. What I do believe is that there is a humongous opportunity here to do something about arts, mm-hmm. the way we deliver art, the way we work with art. It's a reset of what we used to be before. Yeah, we there, 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 there is a lot of new technologies. There is a lot of new channels for making and delivering art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all artists and musicians in our case, they sh- must take advantage of what we have right now 
because it's, it's now or never. If we don't do anything out of the tools that we've developed to survive mm -hmm. during the pandemic, yeah. we're going to miss a big, big, big train and it won't come yeah. back because we can make a new art out of this pandemic and out of this technology. Once things come back to normal, that hopefully soon, I, I, I think we should keep doing what we're doing and master that way of doing it. There is so much new opportunities to promote what you do and coming back to what we were before, should, it would be a mistake. It mm. would be just losing a fantastic opportunity that is right now here. Over the last 12 months, have you been discovering anything new in terms of music or rediscovering things that you used to listen to that you're listening to again? Um, n not discovering new things because I really, I'm very curious all the time. So I'm all, all, all the time discovering things or rediscovering things. Because of the look for empathy and everything we just said about uh, being equal, I've been discovering or remembering great composers that are not white males, uh, European <laughs> yes. white males right. composing. And so I'm just enjoy having a blast listening to Hildegard, Western mm -hmm. Camp. I've been listening to Nicole Lisey, actually, which I sure. just, yeah, put some some her pieces in our in my composition class which everyone loved that's great. of course yeah. pauline oliveros is just sitting uh, hours and hours listening oh. to pauline <laughs> and analyzing her works and some great recordings and her thoughts right and mm -hmm. the thoughts behind her and the philosophy that it was put out there it's just still so valid it's still so fresh in many senses which i i mean i keep listening to a lot of music but i think the the, the best discovery is it's been the thinking behind behind great artists like this
That was Duo One by Nicarneas, performed by Jessica Wagner and her computer. Watch for a video version of that piece on the NME Vimeo page. We've come to the end of this edition of The No Normal. Thank you to Catherine Lee and Nicarneas for sharing their thoughts with us. There's lots more to look forward to in this season before we take a short summer hiatus. In mid-June, catch our lead-up to the summer solstice. Each night, for ten nights, we'll be dropping a short new work by artists from the area. So get ready to welcome summer 2021 with some new dance collaborations, music, and audiovisuals in partnership with our friends at Good Women Dance Collective. To learn more about our programming, please visit newmusicedmonton.ca and be sure to explore the eclectic programming of our partners at CJSR Radio. The No Normal Podcast was created by Caitlin Sean Richards and Ian Crutchley for New Music Edmonton and is produced and hosted by me, Oscar Sebart.